you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Today is Sanctity of Life Human Sunday, uh, where we set aside time once a year to pray specifically uh, for life. And, you know, to be pro-life is to be more than just to say I vote with one certain political party, uh, but to be pro-life means that we affirm life. Uh, We are for life in the womb all the way to the tomb. And so we are for seeing people come to know Christ. We're seeing people uh, wanting to know the goodness and the grace of God. And so uh, that, yes, we want to pray that our abortion rate drops within our country and really goes non-existence. Uh, But also as Christians, that means uh, we are for adoption. We are for foster care. We are for helping people with disabilities and special needs, whether they are children, teenagers, or adults. We are for life. And I want to thank you uh, as a church of being involved in foster care and adoption and special needs, uh, not only just for kids, but we see, have ministry for adults. And, and so thank you so much for that. And so let's pray together. And uh, let's just ask the Lord to put on our hearts this morning how we continue to be for life, uh, not only here in our community, but uh, around our nation and around our world. And so, Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you uh, that coming to know Christ doesn't mean all of our problems magically go away right now, but while we go through those trials and and trials and tribulations that we know we have a, a God who is with us, who comforts us, who cares for us. And Lord, I thank you for being for life. I thank you that you gave us life in Christ and you gave us new spiritual life in Jesus and you are with us in every moment, uh, not only on this earth, but for all of eternity. And Father, I pray this morning that as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we see pro-life more than just a, a, a political issue, uh, but Lord, it's our passion. Father, we want to see orphans come to forever families. We want to support kids and foster care systems, helping them out. Father, we want to help people with disabilities. Uh, Father, hear the gospel, know the grace and the love of God. And, and Father, we want to see an abortion rate go non-existent uh, in our country. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you put this on our hearts as believers, uh, that we may see more and more people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And, Father, for you to receive more worship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it or maybe turn it on. And uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Uh, So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are finishing a series called Twisted. Uh, What does the Bible really say? And so if you're new with us, let me just kind of recap where we've been. Uh, We have untwisted two very popular twisted verses sometimes uh, that we can get a little backwards. The first week, uh, we untwisted Jeremiah 29.11. Now, Jeremiah 29.11 reads this way, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we said in that first week that there are two promises given in the Bible. Uh, sometimes there are general promises given, and a general promise would apply to Christians of all time periods. And then there are specific promises given in the Bible. 
Now we said Jeremiah 29, 11 is a specific promise that was for those people of that day. Uh, but now we can step back and say, all right, well, general promise uh, we see in other places in the word of God that would apply to all of us is God does have a plan for our lives. God does care for us and that God can be known that when you seek God, you can come to know God. And so in week one, we said that if you have the presence of God in your life, then you have the plans of God. Right? So if you know God uh, and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you have his presence, well, then you have his plans. Last week was fun, wasn't it? Because we got to talk about judgment. Yeah, that's always a fun topic to bring up. Yeah? This, uh, all right, so here, the next family gathering. Did the Astros really cheat? Who are you voting for? And is it okay to judge? Right? Three topics just to make the party fun. Okay. Totally kidding. Loosen up. I didn't say anything about cats, so don't write any you know, bad notes for me. All right? Just take a deep breath. Just play on that one. But we untwisted a popular verse that says not to judge. Right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you not be judged. And so sometimes what people say is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can't judge me, right? Bible says don't judge. It's not right to judge. Can't tell me I'm wrong. Don't judge. We said, no, no, that's not what Jesus is getting at. So we set the right context of that passage. We're to judge, but we're not to judge hypocritically. The Bible says in numerous places, we're to call sin, sin. We're we're to tell people, look, you've got to turn from your sin and trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And, And Jesus judged all the time. I mean, have you, if you've been kind of reading through Luke along with us, have you seen Jesus call the Pharisees hypocrites? <laughs> have you seen him say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Guess what? That's judging, right? And so Jesus is saying in that passage, when we come to somebody and we're, we're pointing out sin and we're telling them to turn to Christ, that we've got to take the log out of our own eye before we point out the sawdust in theirs. We've got to deal with our own sin. We can't judge like hypocrites. And so this week, we're going to wrap up our last twisted verse. Okay, and, and here's the verse. It's on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, a lot of times, that verse gets twisted with this phrase. God won't give you more than you can handle. Everybody heard that one before? Just raise your your hand. Quick poll. Not if you've said it, okay? But if that's been said to you, wow, okay. Guess what? It's not true. It's just not true. When is it said? It's often said in a time of trial, a time of suffering. You you found out maybe job loss or a bad medical diagnosis, something hard is going on in your life, and maybe you've sat down with a friend and you're sharing your burden and you're sharing your concern. And, and I know they're well-meaning. And if you've said this, I'm sure you, you, you're, you're saying it to be well-meaning. You're saying it to care. And you just look back at them. And you go, don't worry. God won't give you more than what you can handle. 
Now, when that was said to you, did that really bring a lot of comfort? No. Sandra and I, being parents of a son with disability, I think if we charge people every time that's been said to us, we're close to retirement at this point, right? And not once has it really helped. And I know people are trying to be well-meaning and saying, look, God, God won't give you more than what you can handle. But we want to look back and say, well, you know what? It's pretty tough. I'm really having a hard time handling this. <laughs> and so this morning, we're going to kind of unpack that. And I'm going to give you this truth. And you may want to write this down. And here's where we're going to unpack this statement this morning. God will give you more than you can handle. But God will not give you more than he can handle. Okay? God will give you more than, he, than you can handle, but he will not give you more than he can handle. All right? So when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what we've been saying is you always want to set the context of the verse you're about to read. So if 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is the verse that gets twisted and someone kind of quotes that to you and says, hey, you know what? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God won't give you more than you can handle. You want to understand the context of what's around that verse. So you always want to kind of read what's coming before it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 24 uh, through 27, Paul has been giving this illustration of running a race. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what Paul's saying there is, look, there's danger in leading an undisciplined Christian life. There's danger in losing self-control as a believer. So that's part of the context. Now he rolls into chapter 10 And he's given us illustrations of what it means to be an undisciplined Christian. What it means to lose self-control as a believer in Christ. What what happens if you don't stand up against sin in your life? And what happens if you practice sin? And so in verses 1 through 5, he's taken us back to the exodus of when when the uh, people of Israel left Egypt and God delivered them out of Egypt and then had them in the wilderness years. In verses 1 through 5, he's saying, remember how God protected you and how God provided for you. So he says in verse 1, he says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Verse 5. But nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. So in verse 5, he's saying even though God delivered them, even though God protected them, even though God provided for them, There were so many of them that turned away from God. They didn't have faith in God. And God wasn't pleased with that. They lacked the self-control as a follower of God. Then in verses 6 through 11, he gives you kind of four sins they were struggling with. All right, so let's read there. He said, now these things took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Uh, Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but were written for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. And so you see four sins they really struggle with. Right? They struggle with the sin of idolatry, right? chasing after anything else but God, struggle with the sin of sexual immorality, testing the Lord, and complaining against God. But I, I love what Paul says in verse 11. Do you notice that? He says, this is written for your instruction. Paul's saying, I'm writing to you this for your instruction. So you don't do what they did, right? I'm giving you an example and reminding you what happens if you live a life without self-control. I'm reminding you what happens if you pursue sin and you don't pursue God, right? I'm I'm reminding you of that example. He's reminding me of that example. He's reminding you of that example. And then in verse 12, he gives you a warning. And verse 13 is the promise we're going to lock into. What does verse 12 say? Here's a warning. He says in verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he he stands take heed lest he falls. Okay, so so, anyone who thinks, all right, I'm okay. I don't need to pay attention to my spiritual life. I'm all right. You're you're in danger of falling. You're in danger of sin. And then here's a promise. So no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the context of verse 13, because context is always king, it always helps us to interpret rightly, is Paul has been talking all about temptation, all about self-control, right? So that's, that's our context. Now he said once you set the context when you read the Bible, you want to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Right? So you want to start looking at other verses that match up with this verse and the theme it's talking about. Right? So in verse 13, we've got to ask the question, what does it mean? What's Paul getting at? Well, did you notice in verse 13, again, based on the context, he's talking about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. Now the word temptation can be translated temptation, or it can be translated test. So it can go either way. But really, the best translation is temptation. Why? Because of context, right? That's the flow of the argument that he's been making, that we want to stand up against temptation in our lives. We want to live a life of self-control as believers in Jesus Christ, because when we chase sin, it doesn't end up great. And he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you. There was a mom who uh, was inside her house, and she heard a noise that no mom wants to hear. Her kids were out playing in the backyard, and she heard this blood-curdling cry come from the backyard. And I mean, the mom just stops what she's doing. She gets out. She runs out in the backyard, and, and there's her young son, and he is on the ground, and he is doubled over, and he's just weeping, laying on the green grass. Mom rushes up to him, rolls him over, and, and she looks at him, down at him, and he's looking up, tears in her eyes, and he's saying, what, what happened? And he points his little finger, and he points it to his sister. He said, she punched me in the stomach and kicked me. And the mom gets up, and she's towering over her daughter and got that mom look on her face. You know the mom look, right? 
And she's just kind of the wrinkles on the brow. And she's looking down at her and she points her finger and she said, did you kick him and punch him? The daughter steps back. She said, yes, I did. Why did you kick him and punch him? Well, the devil told me to punch him in the stomach. So I did. The mom said, well, did the devil tell you to kick him? She said, no, that was my idea. But what did Paul just say? Right? Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you. So when you are tempted to sin and you sin, whose fault is it? Yours. Right? It's your fault. When I sin, whose fault? My fault. When you sin, your fault. No one makes you sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan doesn't have that power over you to make you sin. We are tempted to sin, but it's not society's fault. It's no one else's fault but yours when you lose self-control and you give in to temptation and sin. That's what Paul's saying is that no temptation has overtaken you. Did you notice this promise in verse 13? We're all, we're all tempted to sin. Every, you know, every man is, verse 13, every person is. But notice this promise. He says, God's faithful. And he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? So he gives you two promises. Number one, God's faithful. God's not going anywhere in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. As a believer in Christ, you're not sinning your way out of the love of God. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to walk out the door on you and say, I'm done with you. I've had enough of you. I'm not coming back, right? He's faithful. He's going to be there for you. In every moment, ups, downs, good, bad, all the times, he's there. He's faithful. Do you notice something else in that verse? He says, in temptation, he's going to give you a way of escape. He's going to give you a way out. But with temptation, he's providing the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You may have been experienced, you've experienced this on a, on a flight before. I know I have. You're flying along and the captain comes on the uh, radio and he says, listen, uh, ahead, we've got a really bad weather pattern. And so we're either going to fly around the storm and kind of take a different route or we're going to raise our altitude and we're going to go over the storm. But we're not going to go through the storm, right? And all of us as passengers go, all right, amen. Yeah, go around, go over. I don't want to go through the storm. The way through temptation Paul's talking about is this. It's not around it. It's not over it. It's through it. See, in my life and your life, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to suffering, we don't want to go through it, right? We want to go away from it. We want to go around it. We want to go over it. But God's like, no. The way of escape through temptation is through it. Why? Because verse 13, how does he end? That you may be able to endure it. Now, who's the one there helping you to endure it? God, right? He's faithful. He's not going to give you a temptation that's going to overtake you. You've got to go through it. That's the way of escape. And he's there with you, helping you to endure it. So we look at our context. Paul's saying this is in the context of not losing self-control as a Christian. We've 
unpack verse 13 into understanding he's dealing with temptation. So now the last part of reading our Bibles each day is application. What does this apply? How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? How do we untwist that verse where we think, well, God won't give you more than you can handle? Have you learned this about trials? And it's it's been said pretty commonly. Every one of us is in one of three spots when it comes to a trial. Number one, you're in a trial. Number two, you're about to go into a trial. And number three, you're coming out of one. You find your spot yourself in one of those three spots this morning? You're in it. You may be able to go in it. And you're about to start one, or you're just coming out of one. And here's the thing I've found about suffering in trials is it doesn't check with us when it's convenient, right? Suffering doesn't check with us. It doesn't go, hey, check your iPhone and look at your Google calendar and see if next Tuesday's okay for a trial. Is that good? Let's tentatively schedule a bad medical test for a month from now, right? That happened that way. And so, so what do you and I do when we hit those trials and we hit that suffering and someone wants to come to us and says, you know what, hey, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Or maybe you've kind of bought into that idea, God won't give you more than what you can handle. Here's the truth we said that we're learning from God's word this morning is God will give you more than you can handle but he will not give you more than he can handle. And so how does this apply? What does suffering do in our lives? And you may want to write this down as well if you're taking notes on your iPhone or, or maybe on a piece of paper. Suffering teaches you to rely on God's power and presence in your life. Okay, Suffering teaches you to rely on God's power and presence in your life. You are relying on his power and his presence in your life when you suffer. But if you take the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. And someone says that to you, or maybe you buy into that. Are you relying at that moment on his power and his presence in your life? No. See, when you go, hey, God will give you more than you can handle. What's happening and stay with me on this, is you now are turning inward. You're not turning to God. When you buy into the lie, God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay, well then it's all up to me to handle this suffering. It's all up to me to get through this trial. And I've turned inward in my faith instead of turning upward. Instead of turning to God. Instead of saying, no, no, God, in this, I know I have your power and your presence in my life. Because have any of you ever been in those situations where you go, I can't handle this, right? There's no way I can get through this. There's no way I can carry this burden alone. I mean, there, there have been times as a, as a dad of a son with disability, and Sandra and I have talked about this a lot. There's times where we're like, we can't do this. How hard it is at times. There's no way. Some of you have been there. You have been there sitting in the chair with the chemotherapy, you know, IV hooked up. There's no way it can do this. You've had to say goodbye to a loved one. And maybe you've had to make the tough decision of removing life support from. There's no way you can handle that alone. 
You've had issues in your marriage, in your troubles, in your life with your friends and relationships that are hard and they're rocky. And there's no way you can handle that alone. I mean, you're waiting on news even right now where you're thinking, God, I don't know what's going to happen if this comes down this way. I can't handle this. The good news is you don't have to handle this because he will give you more than you can handle, but it's not more than he can handle. He says, I'm giving you my power, my presence in your life. I want you to listen to the words of David in Psalm 18. I want you to listen how David is saying, Lord, I need your power and your presence. David is writing Psalm 18 in a, in a time of distress. We don't know what the distress is, but if you read the whole psalm, you could pick up on it. But listen to verses 1 and 2. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation. Uh, Another word for the word horn will be strength. He is the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 46, 1, David says, God is our refuge and strength, a very help in times of trouble. Suffering teaches us to rely on the power and the presence of God in our lives. You know, I I love um, what my wife says in her book unexpected blessings it's on page 119 and she wrote on this kind of topic and i love the way she illustrates this from the bible she says god could not handle leading people across the red sea esther could not handle uh, approaching the king to beg for her people's lives david could not handle the lion's den you think about what paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 9, and listen to these words carefully. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Oh, Paul, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. Right? You want to tell Paul that at that moment? Nope, I'm not, in li- I'm not in that line, right? Notice how he ends up the verse. But that, that, all that suffering was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering teaches us to rely on the presence and the power of God because God will give us more than we can handle, but it's not more than what he can handle. So for the follower of Jesus Christ this morning, let me encourage you, keep going. For the follower of Christ, don't quit. Keep persevering. Keep the faith. Yes, it is hard. Yes, suffering is difficult. But allow God to work in his presence and power in your life. Keep going. Let me also encourage you as believers in Jesus not to live this out in isolation. That's why you have this green sheet here in your worship program this morning that talks about our life groups at 9 o'clock. It's important not to be isolated as a believer in Jesus, but to get in community, get to where you can know other people within our church, get to know uh, where you can pray with others and they can pray with you. And what you're going to find is you're not alone in your story. I mean, you might think this morning, oh, what I'm going through, no one else in this place has gone through. I guarantee you there's somebody that has. And so you can contact me, you can contact Miss Cindy who was up here earlier. We would love to help you find a life group and get plugged in 
I mean, get plugged into understanding uh, others in their lives, their struggles, them understanding you as well. As believers in Christ, keep following, stay faithful. But let me say this, for those of you that don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life right now, I am not going to promise you this morning that if you come to Jesus in salvation today, that all your problems are going to magically go away. I often tell people before they come to know Christ that your problems may actually just be beginning. It may get very hard before it gets better. And so when when we as believers struggle, and we as believers in Jesus Christ go through hard times, you have to understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, our hope is on not this world getting better right now, but for all of eternity there is no sickness, no pain, no death, no Satan, no sin, no suffering. So what our hope and our aim is, is not just this one situation will turn around, but God is turning around our situation for all of eternity. Amen? That's our hope. That's our faith. Is that a Savior who came into this world, took our sin upon himself, all our sin, all our diseases, all our sicknesses, all our sin, died on the cross for me, died on the cross for you, rose from the grave to be able to beat all of that for all of eternity. And so when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you now have a God who says, I'm going to walk through all of this with you now, as hard as it is. I'm going to give you my power and presence in every moment of your life. And then when you die one day, you are with me in eternal bliss forever. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I'm going to call you to come to know him right now. Because you need to understand this fact as well. You may have trials right now. You may have suffering right now in your life. But the Bible says heaven is real and hell is real. And that if you die without Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you not yet placed your faith in him, then your troubles are just beginning. Because you have a whole eternity of suffering ahead of you. But God says, I don't want that for you. That's why I'm giving you that opportunity to come to Christ. That's why I sent my son for you. So that he reverses all of that in your life for an eternity. And so will God give you more than you can handle? Yes. But it won't be more than what he can handle. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises that we find in your word. That Lord, we don't have to walk through this life alone. Father, I pray right now for the, for the many folks in our congregation that are struggling with the various issues uh, that they have. Lord, you know every one of those needs. And Father, I pray this morning for their faith, that they continue to persevere, they continue to walk with you, they continue to love you. And Father, we do pray that you will ease that suffering, and you will take that away. Lord, we rejoice in a Savior that has beaten death on our behalf, beaten sin on our behalf, So that, Father, one day we don't have to pray for a release of suffering, but we are in your presence for all of eternity. And there will be no hospitals. There will be no crime. There will be no sickness. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. Forever because of what Christ has done. So, Lord, I pray this morning, too, for that person, whether it is a child, a teenager, an adult, that doesn't know you fully as their Lord and Savior. What I pray right now today would be that day that they come to know Christ as their Savior. 
that they would say yes to Jesus. And their eternity forever can be changed as well. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for more opportunity this morning to worship together. Lord, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.